Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. When you're there, shout amen to me. All right, says this, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, says this. It's the Apostle Paul. He says, now, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be encouraged by news about you. I love what he says here. It's an indictment, but it's also encouraging. He says, for I have no one else. I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. He literally says, out of all the people that he knows, he literally says, for I have no one else like-minded when genuinely, who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Man, when I, when I read that, that, that like hit me in my chest. I, I like felt for the Apostle Paul that out of all the people he knew, all the churches he planted, all the people that were in his vicinity, he says, for I have no one else that is like-minded. Everybody seeks their own stuff and not the things of Christ. That is an, an indictment on the people that are around him. And here's what he says, but you know his proven character. He's talking about Timothy here. You know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to send Timothy first. Here's what I'm going to do. I considered it necessary to send Epaphroditus my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. I think um, for all intents and purposes, I may not refer to him as Epaphroditus throughout the rest of the message. I may just call him Big E, because that's a lot 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 of letters in his name. And it says this, verse 26, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick, indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and whole people like him in honor, Because he came close to death for the work of Christ. I want to read verse 30 again. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ. I want that to sink in in your spirit. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ. Risking his life. Risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. That's incredible. That's incredible. Let us pray. Father, we thank you today um, just for for who you are. We thank you for everything that you do for us, God. Um, Lord, I just pray today, God, that that we would all grow together in the faith. Um, I pray together today, I pray that we would together today, God, that we would mature, that we would see ministry from a different perspective. I, I pray that we would see humility and sacrifice from a different perspective vantage point today. And so, Father, I pray 
that we would not just be convicted, but I pray that we will be compelled to do something, Lord. I pray that we would be compelled, God, that, that we would evaluate our life, evaluate our service to you, God, in light of what we learn and what we see today. And so, Father, I pray um, that we would be edified today. I pray ultimately, Lord, that, that Jesus would be exalted. I pray that Jesus would be made known today. And so, Father, let us respond with our minds, with our words, with our hearts. Um, Lord, compel us, God. Let, let us not just sit back and listen, God, but allow us to engage and participate in what you have to say to us today. And so, Father, we thank you today. Holy Spirit, do some work in our hearts today. Do some work in our minds. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. My sermon title this morning is, Where Are the Examples? Where are the examples? I, I, I say this title and I automatically begin to think that oftentimes the Christian life for us is hard and sometimes what God calls us to and commands us to do can seem so far out of reach than what we're capable of doing. Some of the commands of Christ seem like they, they are just not made for normal, regular, day-to-day human beings. Some of the stuff that he calls us to seems like it is impossible. But I want to, I think I want to take it in this direction. I don't think it's impossible because we read it and think that it's impossible. I think it is impossible because we have a lack of examples in the church of what it looks like to actually follow Jesus. I think what seems far out of reach to us isn't out of reach because we don't believe it. I think it's out of reach just because we don't see anybody else doing it. And so today when we look at this message, I don't want you to sit back and say, man, that is awesome for them. I want you to see yourself in light of the power that God has given you when God saved you and say, you know what? If he's calling them to do that, then he's calling me to do this too. I, I want to actually be an example for other people and show them what it looks like to live a humble, self-sacrificing life uh, that is dedicated uh, and consecrated wholly and fully to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we get to this particular point in the letter, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church, all of chapter 2 is about them being united and standing together in the faith in the midst of opposition. He's told them to stand firm in the faith in one spirit, on one accord, contending together for the faith. He has called them to stand together because there is a threat to their unity because of what is actually happening on the outside of the church. Everything that is happening to them is causing them to have this temptation to infighting, which would ultimately destroy their solidarity, which would then discredit and undermine their gospel witness to the outside world. They would no longer show the world what it looks like to be a part of the family of God. And I want to say this, I I think we undermine unity in the church and we think that it's something theoretical and hypothetical, but it's actually actual. It is something that God wants us to live because it has evangelistic and redemptive purposes when we are united and when we stand together as a church. Remember Jesus said in John 13 verse 35, he says, I give you this command to love one another. They will know you are my disciples if you love one another. But if we are not loving one another and we are not united, then how will the world know what it looks like to belong to Jesus? 
Why would anybody want to be a part of something when we are already tearing each other apart? No, we should be so attractive and so united and love each other so well and forgive each other so well and work with each other so well that the world looks at us and they want to become a part of who God has called us to be. And so there's one underlying virtue that was highlighted two weeks ago that was this, this virtue that we must all possess at our core and that we cannot afford to neglect if we are going to be united and stand together. There's one thing that we must all have, and that's humility. Nothing will work if we don't have humility. Let, let me give you a definition of humility. I love the way Crawford Loritz describes humility in his book, Leadership as an Identity. Loritz says this, humility is the intentional recognition that God is everything to you and that you are nothing without him. It is the acknowledgement that life is not about you and that the needs of others are more important than your own. Two weeks ago, we studied Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, the greatest theological statement in the New Testament on the, on the sacrificial life of Christ Jesus. It was the gospel in summary. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 is one of the greatest theological statements in the entirety of the Bible. And and once we studied it and read it, we didn't have to ponder the statement if humility was a person. We realized that humility was a person, and that person's name is Jesus. And so in his humility, he brought forth our salvation. The scripture tells us that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so in Jesus' humble sacrifice for us, he became our example, but he also became our sacrifice. And because of his death and his resurrection, he has made a way for you and I to be just as humble as he was. And so we needed to learn that, understand that theological statement, because I feel like I feel Theology is supposed to inform the way we live. Our theology is supposed to inform the way we live. But we know it's one thing to believe something. It's another thing to live what you believe. It's one thing to know something theoretically. But it's another thing to know it experientially. Some of us know freedom theoretically, but we're strangers to freedom experientially. Some of us know the fruit of the Spirit theoretically and theologically, but we're unfamiliar experientially. And so when we learn our theology and we learn about Jesus and who he was and what he came to do and what he did for us, it is not just enough to know it. We know it because it calls us and commands us to do something after we learn about it. And so we can look at the thing and we can look and see what Jesus did and we can look and say, man, he, he did some great stuff, but he was God in the flesh. I'm just a mere mortal. I'm just a mere man. I'm just a human. I, I, that stuff is out of reach for me. But if we are his disciples, we are called to walk in his steps. 
And so we are followers of Jesus. We are actually followers of Jesus. And whatever God calls us to do, he gives us the power to do it. I want to say that again. Whatever God calls us to do, he gives us the power to do it. God doesn't call us any, to do anything that he hadn't already equipped us for. And oftentimes, in order for a movement to start, in order for people to get on board, there needs to be one person who sets an example for the rest of the people to follow. And today we find not one, but two examples of what it means to live humbly and to live worthy of the gospel and to consider others more important than ourselves. And so what we find at this section of the letter, if you're just looking at it with natural eyes, it doesn't look like there's any theological significance to it. It just looks like some filler right before we get to chapter 3, which is, which is kind of crazy. And, and so before we get to chapter 3, we just see this in Paul. It looks like he's just giving some kind of travel itinerary or some kind of travel log. He's, he's writing about what he plans to do and who he plans to send. Now, if you don't know the context, you know Paul is under house arrest in Rome, and, and, and Paul has somebody with him at the beginning of the letter. In chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy are together. Timothy is not on house arrest with Paul, but Timothy is somewhere nearby. Timothy is with Paul. And so along with Timothy and Paul, a guy by the name of Epaphroditus, Big E, has come from the church at Philippi to bring Paul a financial gift. He's come to bring Paul a financial gift, but he's also come to minister to Paul's needs. Whatever Paul's needs are while he's under house arrest, Epaphroditus is coming to minister to his needs and to bring him a financial gift. You're wondering, well, why would he have to bring Paul a financial gift? Because prison in those days is not like prison these days. You didn't get food and clothing and a uniform and TV and all that kind of stuff. Whatever you had in prison, you had it because your family and friends brought it to you. So you needed people in your life to bring you stuff that would hold you over until your sentence came. And so Paul is in need of stuff. And so the church at Philippi loves Paul so much, but though they can't get to him, they sent a messenger to him to bring him a financial gift. Let me put it in blameless terms. They, they sent him some money to put some money on his books. Put some money on his books, send him a care package, and to come to minister to his needs. And so Epaphroditus is there, and Paul is writing this letter, and, and we're reading the letter right now. Paul is writing this letter to the, to the, to the Philippians, and he's going to send the letter back by Epaphroditus. And so in this, this section, we're looking at Paul's travel plans, and he's telling them what he plans on doing once the outcome of his trial is determined. And but, but before we get to the two examples, I think Paul is actually an example himself, and there's something that we can learn. In verse 19, Paul says he makes plans, but he has plans and hopes to come and see them. But I love the way that Paul makes plans for his future. If you look at verse 19, look at what Paul says. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. If you skip all the way to verse 24, Paul also says, I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. Although Paul makes plans, Paul holds loosely to his plans, and he submits his plans to God's will. Paul says, I hope in the Lord. You know how people used to say, Lord willing, we'll be there tomorrow. But we these days take everything for granted, and we just say, yeah, I'll be there tomorrow at 5 o'clock. 
I'll meet you for brunch right after church. No, you should say, Lord willing, I'll meet you for brunch right after church. Because Paul is saying, I'm submitting everything to God's plans. He trusts in the sovereignty of God. He trusts his entire life to the sovereignty of God, both the good and the bad. And he knows that God can use all situations to bring about God's ends. And so Paul says this because if we look through the Bible, it was not uncommon that Paul would have plans to go one place and the Holy Spirit would lead him another place. If we look at Acts chapter 16, before we find out about this church, Paul never intended to come to Europe. Paul actually was trying to go to Asia, but Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 7 tells us that Paul planned to go to Asia, but the Holy Spirit kept him from going there. Paul was actually going to another place, but it tells us that the Holy Spirit would not let Paul go. And I think we can take a message from that because oftentimes we find ourselves in places because we ignore the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is telling no, don't go there, don't go do that. And we go anyway, but we see an example of a man who submits his plans to the Lord. And it's what I, this is what I want to say to us. If Paul is submitting his plans to the Lord and to the Holy Spirit, then we must readily allow ourselves at times to be interrupted by God. We must learn to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. Do you ask God before you make a major decision? Or do you just do what you feel like doing? And the question then becomes, well, 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 how do we demonstrate trust in the sovereignty of God in our own lives? I love how one theologian put it, Paul kept a light grip on his own agenda. Paul kept a light grip on his own agenda. And I think we can learn to keep a light grip on our own agenda. I know you want to go there. I know you want to move there. I know you want to quit it and start something else. I know you want to move on, but maybe we should keep a light grip on our agenda because maybe God has you at a place that it's not time for you to move forward yet. But you won't know that if you don't trust the Holy Spirit. And Paul is demonstrating this for us. Paul, Paul is showing us what that looks like. And that's not just reflected in Paul's hopes and plans about traveling, but it's also reflected in his service as he puts forward to the Philippians, to the Philippians and to us, two men that consider others more important than themselves. What he's showing us here is more than travel plans. He's holding up these men as models of people who live humble, sacrificial lives that are dedicated to serving Jesus. And these men in this text today will show us that it's actually real and possible to sacrifice your life for Jesus. Th these men will show us. They are living illustrations of everything that he's been talking about for the first two chapters. That they, are, they are witnesses that it's actually real. They are showing us what it's like to have the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, doing nothing out of selfish, in, uh, selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility considering others more important than themselves. They're not looking out for their own interests, but looking out for the interests of others. They're going to show us what it means to do everything without complaining and arguing, although they had every reason to, they're going to show us what it's like to shine like stars in the world. Now, these men are not perfect, but it's obvious that God is working in them to work and to will according to his good pleasure. 
This is what it looks like when God is working in the life of his servant. They're showing us that growing and maturing in the faith is actually possible. They're showing us what it looks like to grow up in Christ in the nitty-gritty of everyday life. And here's what it says, now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. Now before Paul sends Timothy, he wants to send Timothy and he expects when he hears back from Timothy, once he sends him, that Timothy will tell him, you know what? The Philippians have grown up in the faith. They're actually maturing. They're actually united. They're actually following Jesus. And Paul says, I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm encouraged. I plan on being encouraged by the good news about you. He thinks that they are going to demonstrate that they're actually spiritually mature. And so let me give you a little uh, background on, on Timothy. T- Timothy is someone that Paul is going to send to them for them to imitate. Paul says he plans to send Timothy soon, and the reason why he's not sending, sending Timothy immediately is because he's waiting to learn the outcome of his trial. I told you that in weeks before. This is not like you do 10 years, do a 10-year stretch or a 10-year bid. This is, I'm in prison because I'm waiting to, to, to find out if I'm going to live or die. People in those days went to prison in antiquity not to do a life sentence and pay, pay back that debt to society. No, they were in prison waiting for someone to determine if they were going to live or die. And so Timothy is with Paul, and Paul is kind of holding on to Timothy until he finds out what is going to happen to him. And so Timothy's presence is somewhat indispensable to Paul. It's somebody that Paul actually needs. Paul can't afford to not to entrust his issues into his situation to someone else. He actually needs Timothy. There will come a time in Paul's life where Paul is at the brink of death, and Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. He tells him, I'm about to die. Can you come to me really soon? Paul actually needs Timothy, but there is a reason why they have a close relationship. And so I want to read you Timothy's origins in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. I want to read to you Timothy's origins, where Timothy comes from. Here's what it says. Paul went on to Derby and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for the people to observe, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in number. And so we see Paul grabbing his son in the faith, grabbing Timothy, and Timothy is out doing ministry with Paul as a co-laborer and also kind of as an apprentice because Timothy would eventually become the pastor at Ephesus. And so Timothy is along with Paul doing ministry. Wherever Paul goes, Timothy goes. And so throughout the, throughout the New Testament, we'll see that Paul refers to Timothy as my true son in the faith, my dearly beloved son, my faithful child. He has a special affection for Timothy. And the first thing that we can see in the text when we read it is that Timothy was a good example because Timothy was like-minded. Timothy was like-minded. He was on one accord with Paul. He was, he was of equal soul of Paul. When we read 
uh, chapter 2, verse 2, it says, be united in spirit. Well, Timothy was united in spirit, in spirit with Paul. And so whatever Paul wanted to do, Timothy was with it. Timothy wasn't on his own program. Timothy wasn't on his own stuff. Timothy was like, hey, man, I'm united with you. And the reason why Paul says this is because it tells us that Timothy genuinely cares about the Philippians as much as Paul does. He cares for them just as much. There are some people you would trust your children children too, and there's some people that you wouldn't. There's some family members that people who have children will not trust their children to, although they're family members. But there's some people you would trust your children to if something happens to you. Here's why. Because you know that they would take care of your children the same way you do. And this is what Paul is saying, that when Timothy comes, I trust him because he feels the same way about you that I do. He is like-minded. He's actually distressed emotionally about your well-being the same way that I am. He is in sync with his leader. He's in, in sync with his co-laborer in the faith. And it is hard for us to get people all on the same page in a local church. He says, I have no one like-minded. That's not to say that others weren't actually doing the work of ministry. It's just that to say everybody else didn't adopt the same priorities. What would it be like for all of us to strive and be on one accord? How much could we get done in the church? How much could you get done in your household if everybody was on the same page, going in the same direction? He says, I trust Timothy because he's like-minded. He cares just as much as I do about your well-being. That's not the only thing. It says that he seeks the interest of Christ. He seeks the interest of Christ. I love this about Timothy because he subordinated his own concerns to the concerns of Jesus. Paul says all others seek their own interests. That, that's an indicting statement when the apostle Paul says everybody else is out doing their own thing. Everybody else is out doing their own thing. But here's my son Timothy. His interest is actually the interest of the kingdom of God. That's amazing. That's unfortunate there were others there, but Timothy is the only one who put the interest of Christ first. That is a sign of Timothy's maturity. That's a sign of who he was as a person. He understood his true identity, his call, his purpose, and that was to put Christ's interest above his own. That is not to say you can't enjoy your life. That is not to say that you can't do your own thing at times. But let me tell you something. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus, but he takes a back seat to your own personal priorities, you're doing it wrong. He's called us to put his priorities first. He brought us, purchased us with a price, his precious blood. And he didn't do that so that you could be on your own stuff. He did it so that you and I could get on his agenda, not on our own agenda. And this is what Timothy is demonstrating, that the things of Christ come first. This is what it means. I think this is one of the things that we really struggle with in our generation, this notion that I can serve Jesus and myself equally. But to seek the interest of Christ is to seek first the kingdom of God and all of its righteousness. It is to put your hands to the plow and not look back. We underestimate the amount of sacrifice that it actually takes to truly serve Jesus. We want to serve him as long as it's comfortable and convenient. We want to serve him as long as we can fit him into our schedule, as long as he didn't interrupt me from having fun and doing my thing. But I want to tell you this, Jesus is not an add-on. He's our life. 
There'll be numerous times when you'll want to do something for yourself and do your own thing, but the kingdom will come and you have to make a decision. Do I leave my responsibilities or do I go and do my own thing? And the others made the other decision. But whatever decision you make is actually a sign of what your priority is. And this is indicting to us because we want to use, we treat Jesus like a bracelet. He matches a nice outfit. We treat him like a pair of earrings. He accents our makeup. We treat him like a watch. Don't work. We don't even look at the watch on the time on our watch. We just like it because it matches our outfit. Guilty as charged. But Jesus is not an add-on. That's not what he called us to. His interest is our interests. This is a call. This, is a, this message is a fork in the road. Are you going to follow Jesus or not? Is he your everything or is he nothing? Because the ministry of the kingdom is an all or nothing ministry. Jesus did not call us to do him part time. He's full time. Next thing I love about Timothy, it says, verse 22, but you know his proven character. Because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Oh, oh my God, that's so beautiful. You know his proven character. He has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. That is the strongest commendation a person can make. He approves of Timothy. He's saying this is a guy that you can trust. You can follow his example. He will take care of you like I will. He has seen that all I experienced, all the beatings and the shipwreck and the abandonment, all of those things, and he still stuck with it. He hadn't given up. He hadn't taken a back seat. Taken a back seat. He has not been turned off by difficult circumstances. And so some of us need to learn that ministry is not easy, like serving Jesus is not easy. It is called for a lifetime commitment it is not a call for you to be comfortable and feel good and as soon as you face problems you stop and take a back seat and sit on the sidelines no your proven character is when you go through the fire and you still can serve Jesus he says proven character I love the Greek word it literally means one who has remained faithful despite hardship oh I love that when we look at Romans chapter 5, verse 4, look at what it says. This is so beautiful. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. Endurance produces proven character. You can't get it because you want it. You got to get it because you got to go through it. I want my character to be proven. Then you got to go through something. You got to get punched in the gut and show up for the fight. I never understood fighters get in a ring to fight, even if they fight Mike Tyson. Maybe, maybe not. Wrong, bad example. If you fight Iron Mike in the 80s, I got it. He's going to kill you. But I never understood fighters who get into a fight, and then they don't come out of the corner once they got beat up for a round. They have their corner to throw in the white towel. And what I've seen and realized in church is that we don't have a many, many people who want to go the distance. But we need people who are like Rocky. And some of y'all are not familiar with Rocky. But man, Rocky got beat up every time. I mean, Rocky got beat senseless every time. Apollo Creed beat Rocky till Rocky couldn't see. And Rocky still was fighting. He kept fighting. And 
maybe we should model our faith like Rocky. No matter what it looks like. Swollen eyes, swollen lips, can't see, ear swollen, everything messed up. And you still keep going. Endurance produces proven character. But if you put your hand to the plow and it got tough and you let go, you ain't got proven character. It's something you want, not something you present. Timothy was, Timothy's medal was tested in battle. Timothy was battle tested. Timothy saw what Paul was going through and says, I ain't running, I ain't ducking, I ain't hiding, I ain't dodging. Nobody, bring it on. I'm still doing what I'm supposed to do. My question to you is, can you serve when you don't feel like it? <laughs> or do you go missing when it gets a little tight and uncomfortable in your life? But that's not what God calls us to. To believe that serving Christ by serving others is a matter of personal convenience is to have a shallow biblical theology of serving and suffering. To believe and rejoice over the benefits of Christ's sacrifice for you and respond with an attempt at service that never gives up anything or forsakes anything is the evidence of a theology that has been washed in cultural Christianity that says I can have Jesus and my life. But this is a fork in the road. Will you still serve Jesus? When are people going to swallow their fear of missing out? What if it doesn't? What if, what if you look crazy for following Jesus when everybody else is going to do the thing? So you're just going to leave your responsibilities behind so you can have a good time? God is calling us to grow up. God is calling us to grow up. Where are the examples? Where are the examples? You can't have your life and have the life of Christ too. Luke 9, 24. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. Fork in the road, lying in the sand. And this is what he's called us to. And if that is true of Timothy, then it is doubly true of Epaphroditus. And Paul introduces us to Epaphroditus, who's a member of the Philippian church, who I told you that he was sent to bring a gift to Paul to come and serve Paul's needs in the church. And I love the way Paul talks about Epaphroditus in verse 25. Look at all of these titles he ascribes to Epaphroditus in verse 25. He says, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, your minister uh, and messenger. He gives him five affectionate titles that speaks of his relationship with Epaphroditus, and it speaks of the labor that Epaphroditus has done. All these titles are saying, convey, are conveying respect and honor this man. This man has been through some stuff. Look at verse 27. Look at verse 27. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Here's what happened. Epaphroditus is going to take the gift to Paul, and somewhere on the journey, a 700-mile journey, he wasn't driving a Tesla. There weren't Advent hospitals on every corner. He got sick somewhere on the journey. 
where he almost died doing ministry. <laughs> he almost died doing ministry. But what I love is that although he almost died, it doesn't tell us that he went back home. He almost died, but he's right there with Paul, which meant he went through something that almost killed him, and he kept going. You can't keep going when you get uncomfortable. You get physically tired and you want to quit, but Epaphroditus' life is in the balance and he sees his ministry to the Lord Jesus is so important that he can't quit. This is real life. This is ministry. This is what it means to gain life in Christ. And Paul says, God had mercy on him so that I wouldn't have sorrow upon sorrow. What Paul is saying is this, that I couldn't take any more bad news. I'm already on the house arrest. Yes, I have the joy, which is based on internal stuff. But on the outside, I'm still concerned. And if Epaphroditus died trying to come to me, I don't know what I would have done. But God had mercy on him. Oh, that's so beautiful. And here's why you don't appreciate that. Because you and I are five minutes away from a hospital wherever we live. If they build one more McDonald's, I mean one more Advent hospital, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's on every corner. But it's not like that in antiquity. Because if you are going to nearly die, people never or rarely came back from death's door. There were no machines, no modern medicine to heal anybody. If you were at the point of death and death was sh a shadow right before you, you were going to die. But it says God had mercy on him, which means this, that if we survive anything, it ain't because you found the nearest emergency room. It ain't because you took the right medicine. If you are still alive today, if you've been sick, it is due to the mercy of God, but God who is rich in mercy. And this is what he's dealt with. But even in his near-death experience, he completed his mission. He carried out his assignment in spite of what happened to you. And I want to tell you this. He had every reason not to follow through. He had every reason to turn back. He had every reason to put his hand to the plow and look back. But no, he was fit for the kingdom. Not even the threat of death kept him from pressing forward and finishing what he started. And verse 30 says this, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. He risked his life. To serve other people. He made up what was lacking, meaning they couldn't get to Paul, get to Paul, but he could. And his presence was representative of the Philippians to Paul. He came to do ministry to Paul on behalf of the Philippian church. But here's what he did. He put it all on the line. Last week, we learned about not grumbling or complaining. If you want to see a picture of not grumbling or complaining, this is it. He nearly died, and he kept going. It says he was, once he got there, he was distressed because somehow the Philippian church found out that Epaphroditus was sick. And verse 26 tells us that he was distressed because you heard that he was sick. He cared so much about them that he didn't want them to be in anguish and anxiety because of their fears about his sickness. Now, you're thinking he could have shot him a quick text. He could have sent him a little message in a group message. 
He could have sent him a quick email. But back in those days, it took weeks, maybe months, to get news from one place to another. So they heard about him being sick, but they had to wait. And he's not, no, they'll find out when I get there. He loved them so much that he was distressed about their distress. This is what caring for others actually looked like. My question is this. Do we feel the same way about other Christians? Or are the personal private things in your life given priority? I think we see this. It shoots a dagger right into our rendition of Christianity. Where God and his people are just simply add-ons to our life. But I want you to see how God saw this. Verses 28 through 29 says this. For this reason, Paul says, I'm very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him with great joy and hold people like him in honor. He's saying people like this deserve honor. They, they deserve a hero's welcome for their sacrifice. When you see somebody serving in that capacity, you should honor them. When you see make people making sacrifices on behalf of others, you need to tell them, I see you and I appreciate your service. Because not everybody has this type of life. Not everybody is willing to do what needs to get done. So we take a step back and we see the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus. We, we see two men who are leading by serving and sacrificing. They are modeling what it looks like to do nothing out of selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility they are counting others as more important than themselves. They're showing us what it looks like. Inconvenience, discomfort, sickness, and suffering, still no complaining. These men served. They gave no opportunity for anybody to undermine their witness. And so I want to give you three things about these men, and then we're done. Number one. Both of these men were faithful in the face of hardship. Both of these men were faithful in the face of hardship. They were committed. I'm still on point one. Point number, point number one, both of these men were faithful in the face of hardship. They had an unwavering commitment. And here's what I want to say about commitment. An undivided commitment to the gospel is no commitment at all. The crazy thing is, is Paul didn't say this is some supernatural act. It's normative. <laughs> what if we made this the norm? Number two, there was no separation between their life and their doctrine. There was no separation between their life and their doctrine. Or you can say there was no separation between their life and their theology. The gospel actually got deep down in their hearts and transformed their lives. They actually lived out what they said they believe and what they committed to. There was no separation between their belief and their behavior. And I want to say this about Timothy. There's something amazing about Timothy. Paul writes two letters to Timothy, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. 
And here's what we can gather from from Paul's letters to Timothy. Timothy was a timid young man. He was very timid, maybe insecure in his leadership. When we read the text, we read this, we say this all the time, but we say it out of context. Paul is speaking this to somebody who is timid and insecure. Paul says, for God has not given you the spirit of fear, but a power of love and of sound mind or sound judgment. He said this to somebody that was timid. He's telling him, hey, I know you're timid. I know you're insecure, but push back against your insecurities and do it anyway. He cared more about Jesus than his insecurities. Oh, but I'm uncomfortable doing that. I can't say that. Who am I? I don't think that I can do that. In front of all those people, you want me to speak up to them, but they're my peers. What if, what if they don't think I'm cool anymore? You mean I can't go too? Oh, man. Oh, man. But this was the life. And sometimes that road is a lonely road. You got to go by yourself. But you're not by yourself because Jesus is with you. Third thing. These men trusted Jesus. These men trusted Jesus. This is the only way you can serve in this kind of capacity, is if you have a deep, abiding, fruitful relationship with God through Christ Jesus. You can't serve like this and not have a deep relationship with Jesus. Because serving like this only comes from time spent with God. When you know that because of Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross and resurrection from the grave, it is the only reason that we can even make an attempt at this kind of life because our, our sinfulness is such a great deterrent. It will convince us to turn away from God when things get tough. It will make us feel helpless, and it will make us feel all, it will make us feel like we are incapable, but we know that Jesus has died for us and has risen from the grave. Therefore, we are capable because he has called us to it. He's not just our example. He's our sacrifice. This type of character for people is not beyond us. The gospel does not ask us to do more than it has given us the power to. And because we have Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. And these men are great examples. They are great examples. But their example only does one thing. Their example points us back to the greatest example. I love it. It says that Epaphroditus nearly died. It literally means Epaphroditus was to the point of death. (laughs) I love it. Epaphroditus was to the point of death. But what we learned two weeks ago, that Jesus humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Epaphroditus almost died, so he ain't enough. But Jesus died, and he got up out of that grave so that people like you and I could be living examples and witnesses to a dying world of what service and sacrifice actually looks like. 
So I think my question bears repeating. Where are the examples? Where are you at? Sometimes I feel like Paul. There are not many who are like-minded, who will put the interests of Christ above their own. But just because it's not for everybody doesn't mean that it's not for you. This is the life that he calls us to, people. So now we have to take this time to reflect on what our priorities are. Are we waiting for somebody else to take the lead and set the example? Because at some point, if you're going to truly follow Jesus, you're going to have to lose something. You're going to have to forsake something. And in a generation... God, I hate this phrase, a FOMO. I wish somebody would just kill FOMO. I would have to, I would hate for you to have to have the worst kind of FOMO, eternal FOMO. That's real FOMO. Last thing I want to say is this. Is it all worth it? The answer to that is yes. If we make a decision, if you make a decision to follow Jesus with reckless abandonment, with every intention to do everything he called us to do, to give up your life so that you can pursue a life with him, there is a reward for those who follow Jesus. For God is not unjust. He will not forget your labor. There is a reward that will make everything we went through, everything we experienced, everything we gave up, it will pale in comparison to the crown of righteousness that will be bestowed upon people like you and I. But my question remains where are the examples? And will you be one? Let us pray. We hope you were blessed by the message today and would love to hear about how God is using this ministry in your life. You can connect with us online at outpouringorlando.com to share your story, request prayer, give financial support, or learn more about our ministry. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services if you're ever in the Orlando area. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.